The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by Father Anthony Chicada, author of Work of Human Hands. Uh, I just say, whenever you hear the organ starting up, uh, that you know the music is for Father Chicada. Father, thanks for, for joining us. <laughs> A pleasure to be here. I wish I could play as well as, as uh, the fellow on your introductory music. <laughs> well, if, if it helps, Father, I imagine that you that's precisely what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. In this episode, we're going to move on to Chapter 10 of Father's Work of Human Hands, uh, the book recently back in print in its second printing, and it's available at sggresources.org. We'd encourage you, as we always have in all of our episodes, to buy the book, follow along yourself, either reading the chapters before or after listening to these episodes. Uh, Or uh, the the sort of uh, lazy trads way out. Maybe you can just listen to these episodes and, and skip the reading, but, uh, but Father's already anticipated that by putting summaries at the end of each of these chapters. So don't be intimidated by the, the more than 400 pages in this book. Father will meet you wherever you are. <laughs> Today's chapter is called The Liturgy of the Word, Adroit Choices, Gigantic Voices. And I think, Father, it might help us to frame our discussion today by talking about these two phrases, why you chose them and what we're going to be talking about today. Well, uh, the adroit the choices comes from uh, a, a passage written by uh, Dom Guranger, who was the, the great founder of the liturgical movement in the 19th century, and the man responsible for the restoration of uh, Benedictinism, the Benedictine monasteries in France. Uh, Guéranger wrote a very famous um, monograph called The Anti-Liturgical Heresy, and he talked about how those heretics who had uh, sought to spread their errors throughout the world uh, reformed the liturgy and what they had done. He described their methods. It's a a very uh, very interesting monograph, which if you could ever get your hands on it, I'd encourage you to read it. One of the characteristics he talks about uh, as regards the anti-liturgical heretics is their use of of scripture. He said that they will talk about uh, their devotion to scripture, but uh, when it it comes to its actual use in the liturgy, uh, they treat it, he says, first of all, negatively by passing over in silence through an adroit choice texts which express doctrines opposed to the errors that they would have to prevail. 
and positively by bringing to light mutilated passages which show only one side of the truth while conceding the other from the eyes of the crowd. Well, the reason I chose this as an uh, introductory quote to uh, the chapter in the Liturgy of the Word is that when you look very closely at what the liturgical reformers did after the Second Vatican Council, you can see that they uh, just that they did exactly this. We were promised to get more scripture, uh, but what in fact we ended up with is is getting less of the actual uh, message of scripture itself through the way that the reformers cut it up. So that's our adroit choices. The gigantic voices part of the. Um, chapter title uh, has to do with this, that the um, uh, idea, to a great extent, of uh, what was done to change the scripture section of the Mass, what is formerly called the Mass of the Catechumens, was uh, to provide immediate and uh, direct instruction to members of the congregation. So uh, what uh, you have here is you have this, this idea of liturgy as a classroom. That And we're going to teach you a lesson, a scriptural lesson today, and the way that we're going to do it in the practical order is we're going to have this gigantic amplified voice bark these scripture texts out at, at you to pound them in, into your head. So you have these two very strange ideas introduced into this section of the New Mass. And it's a bit it's a bit horrifying to think about it. I, I but I suppose that whole idea of mics and and turning on a mic and turning it off is is something you don't really have to worry about at Mass, do you, Father? No, you definitely don't. No, <laughs> because it's directed primarily toward Almighty God. Well, you're, so these gigantic voices they're they're not only supposed to tell us what to do, but they're supposed to tell us uh, what's going on. And I think of. Uh, I, I'm thinking of, of Groucho Marx saying, you know, what do you believe, me or your own eyes? And uh, and I'm thinking, if it's supposed to be in the vernacular, and I, I have eyes to see, you know, why have all of this this pedantic commentary? Uh, that's one of, one of the things that, that struck me about the uh, new right, that, well, it was supposed to go into the vernacular, but then uh, it's not it seems it's not enough for them to put the texts in the vernacular. Uh, they have to tell you before they say something in the vernacular what they're going to say, and then afterwards tell you what they've said. So it, it, the idea is, is uh, you know, that you're, it seems to be like you're dealing with people who are extraordinary extraordinarily stupid or who are, <laughs> in fact, hard of hearing because they're being harassed by this gigantic voice. So it's, it's 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 all really very bizarre. <laughs> well, and Father, I think you make a good point. Uh, in the article, you you try to contrast the differences between what what a a traditional mass appears to be to the the person who's just watching, uh, let's say an outside outside uh, observer, and what the new mass looks like. And of course, you you explain that that in the traditional mass you have. Uh, the priest being basically the only way that mass can can function. He is reading the readings. He, uh, of co obviously, you have an assistance of altar boy of moving things around or or pouring things. But that without the priest, you really can't have a functioning mass. And then I, I read with with some chagrin 
this, this paragraph. In the liturgy of the word, this ritual link between the solemn proclamation of God's word and the sacrificing priesthood has now been severed. The new rite is non-hierarchical, democratic, and centered on the, on the laity. The assembly now celebrates the mass. In the form that the new legislation presents as ideal, a string of lectors, lectresses, commentators, cantors, and part-time deacons conduct the liturgy of the word. It has become what American liturgist Ralph Kiefer approvingly calls the action of a deliberative assembly, its secular analog being, for example, the formal meeting of the Senate. And I suppose I had two reflections, Father. One, I wondered which was more boring, watching C-SPAN or, or the Novus Ordo. But secondly, I thought with some shame that I have participated in it, not just as an altar boy, but you know, you graduate from being an altar boy to a lector. That's when you get to wear a suit and, and carry, carry the lectionary in. And I thought, well, I was part of the problem as well. Well, but, I, uh, mean, I think I think your description is spot on. Don't forget, I was too at one point when uh, when I was a seminarian. So it's the the whole um, uh, the whole nature, as it were, of, of uh, this part of the mass has been uh, kind of overthrown, and and uh, that's the point. So you the the um, uh, celebrant, the, the the priest that's over on a bench on the side, and uh, basically the action is elsewhere. He's no longer the the uh, primary actor. There's very little that's left for him to do, and and you have the uh, lay people uh, performing the action, and it's not just a. Um, uh, parody uh, that we're talking about. This is done everywhere in the Novus Ordo. That uh, you have to have this this string of people doing different things. You even have it in St. Peter's. You even had it with Ratzinger. Um, the uh, I wrote an article about that. Um, a description of uh, the mass that I saw in EWTN of the Christmas Mass of of uh, Ratzinger, and uh, the. Uh, a central star once Ratzinger said um, the collect, the Christmas collect was the epistle babe that there's this, this uh, good looking woman who was all dolled up and that everyone sat down uh, you know, the, all of the cardinals were sitting around and the epistle babe came out and proclaimed the epistle so you, you had to have this so it's, it's this, this idea of a uh, de-sacerdotalized um, first part of the Mass, is it's, it's integral to it, even with uh, so-called conservative observances of, of, uh, of the rubrics. So that's what you get. That's exactly well, what you get. I, I might remind you, uh, uh, Father, that under, uh, under JP2 of Unhappy Memory, we, we would have topless epistle babes. Uh, so you, 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 could, you could go all the way if you needed to. Yeah, this was an accommodation to uh, native culture in Indonesia, I believe. So, uh, you know, in the Novus Ordo, uh, almost anything is possible, and uh, almost anything is possible except parody, I think, at this point. So, <laughs> so I, I, I had mentioned that uh, uh, in, in, a, in another episode that, that we've recorded uh, on, on the Anti-Modernist Reader, about the, the penitential rite being truly penitential. And I think that you made that same comment and, and when, you, when we're talking about the introductory comments. And I, I would remember, again, stirring up these memories of my, my days in the Novus Ordo, that you know, we always would expect Father to say something. So we would, you know, we'd say, in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. 
uh, how, how you know good morning and we and everyone would have to say good morning father and then you know he would offer some comment like you know i know everybody's waiting to go you know watch the the chiefs game or i know that everybody's uh, enjoying this weather i hope you all had a good week but we couldn't just go to mass it had to be getting us comfortable to be in the sacred space because maybe we just finished gabbing with our neighbor five minutes before mass had started anyway and i thought about uh uh, what this this meant, and I thought this is something that Novus Ordos are just used to, and I, and I don't think they necessarily find it unpleasant. I think even as a conservative Novus Ordo, which I'm billing myself as because I felt like very much feel that my family raised us that way, that we didn't see this as a terrible thing because we weren't catechized to think that the mass was the sacred space where we wouldn't have the sort of interchange of pleasantries like we're starting a conversation. Yeah, the the idea is is, is that you have um, uh, this this sort of familiarity, this this sort of cutesiness that you want. You're not really taking what's going on uh, too seriously, and you you therefore have to make people from a human point of view uh, feel really uh, comfy and and uh, and emotionally warm. So the, the, there are a series of points throughout the new mass at which the uh, priest presider is, is free to do this. I point out um, uh, uh, that this is, is, is uh, something that's actually foreseen in the legislation promulgating the Novus Ordo, that you, you make these, these uh, little comments. And this is the sort of thing that, that uh, drove conservatives like us crazy in the uh, 1970s when we were still going to the Novus Ordo. But uh, it's something that, that's part of the rubrics. The, these guys are just doing their job as, as regards to the rubrics. They're supposed to be warm and, and, and fuzzy. Well, after we get through the warm and fuzziness, we have, if we don't have an epistle babe, we'll have a, 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 a canter babe who will come out and walk us through these these terrible... Uh, responsorial psalms, which uh, I re- I remember. So, Father, can you tell us a little bit about what what happened uh, with with the chants and and also the sequences? P- people in the Novus Ordo may not know what a sequence is. Okay, first of all, the, the uh, in the traditional mass you have the, the uh, intervening chants between the epistle and the gospel. You have the gradual and the Alleluia, where you have two Alleluias if you're in the Easter season, or you have a tract. And then you have, a, um, in uh, some bigger feasts, you have a hymn that's called the sequence. Well, since these were, uh, in the traditional Mass, these were resolutely non-participatory. Uh, you, you, people didn't bark out responses. You had to invent, uh, when you're creating the Novus Ordo, some sort of um, substitute for them. So what they came up with was something called the responsorial psalm. And the way that that works is that um, the uh, cantor, the the, uh, cantor babe, um, will sing a simple phrase and a musical phrase, and everyone is supposed to sing that back at her. And then uh, she uh, sings two verses from a psalm, and then she raises her arms again, and everyone is supposed to sing this, this simple little melody. Uh, so that's the idea of the re- responsorial psalm, that you can't possibly be silent there. That um, you, the, the only way for it to work is for you to be barking out something back. <laughs> Straight out of, of the North pulpit. Korea. 
I feel yeah, like it's and, something and, straight out of North Korea. And then on top of it, as a musician, this this it's these uh, things are idiotic because you can't expect um, the members of a congregation who don't have a musical education to uh, sing anything uh, 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 sublime on Sunday. It's got to be something simple. So it was about the, the, the level of these things was about the same as that of a, a jingle for a toothpaste commercial. And you had a, it would be a simpy melody, and then the... Um, uh, <laughs> I think that's somewhat uh, offensive to toothpaste jingles everywhere, Father. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. And <clears throat> I remember one incident, in fact, uh, traveling around, there's a, a, the... the uh, uh, Golden Bear restaurant chain in in Chicago, and they they had a, a, a jingle that they put on uh, their napkins. They put the music for it on their napkins, and these were the days after I'd just come out of the Novus Order, and I looked at at, at their jingle, the Golden Bear jingle, and it was uh, the melody was very close to a responsorial psalm that I, I played when I was in the Novus Ordo. So that's the sort of level that it was at. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> So this is what you, you, you have. The other element you have is a sequence. And the sequences were done on, uh, on uh, Easter, on uh, Pentecost, at uh, Masses for the Dead, uh, on the uh, Feast of the Sorrowful Mother and on Corpus Christi. And these were these lengthy poems that uh, with magnificent texts that were sung by the choir. And on... Um, Virtually all of these, because they're non-participatory, have been made uh, optional. And the uh, Diazire, which was the sequence for the Mass of the Dead that talks about death and judgment and so on, the end of the world, that was just too negative for words. So they, they had to um, uh, ditch that one entirely. So so these these elements of the traditional Mass that you had then had to go in the face of this this new theology. Well, and you you go on, and again, I would refer you to chapter ten as as this is just the the radio the episode review. We can't go into every part of uh, Father's chapter, but the next thing that I want to cover is the creed, and and I suppose there's a bit of confusion for me in the Novus Ordo, Father, that I didn't know whether we would be saying the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Both of them were printed in our missalettes, and sometimes one father one priest would use one, and another would use another, and. I was never quite sure which we were going to recite, and you say in here it's not even certain that you would need to say either. Well, yeah, it, it, the um, use of it was in the Novus Ordo was greatly restricted to uh, Sundays and um, solemnities, which are their highest-ranking feast. Whereas uh, before, in the traditional liturgy, you would say it on the feast of doctors of the church who taught the creed, or um, major. Uh, other major feasts, Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, feasts, for instance, such as today's feast, the Feast of St. Michael, Feast of the Apostles, who taught the creed after all. But uh, all of these were uh, abolished as part of the, the idea of shortening and uh, shortening things and minimizing things. So in the Novus Ordo, you, you uh, simply do not have the uh, recitation of the creed as much as you did for, uh, formerly. And this this obviously uh, not only shortens the the mass, but uh, uh, detracts from the importance of these other feasts, which is not a surprising in the Novus Ordo because that's what they did. 
Well, and also, I was never sure whether we were going to go first person plural or not, and I was going to pretend I was I was the Holy Father and say say we believe in in one God instead of uh, ah this first person singular creed. <laughs> you know, you think what is it? That was the translation into a number of languages. You you couldn't even say credo. You couldn't even say I believe that everything had to be communi- communitarian. <laughs> The the other thing which many Novus Ordo listeners would would be familiar with is the the prayer of the faithful, and uh, I thought there was a very interesting episode which was illustrative of what you refer to, which is the intention of, of the writers, and it comes from a, a Father Rouget, who was upset that some petitions about uh, that that were you that were going to be used for prayers of the faithful had come back so. Um, he would say rigid, and here's the quote. The editor took the liberty of, so this is Rouget writing uh, to Bugnini. The editor took the liberty of Christianizing, of spiritualizing, and of supernaturalizing all the petitions. I would need whole pages to set forth all the cases where the intentions we prepared for these prayers were completely changed, and always in the direction of a devout and conventional religion, utterly foreign to the pastoral needs of today. And of course, obviously, the vocal performance is not included in the book, but uh, I think probably that's how it might have been written, Father. Lots of indignation, lots of ink flying everywhere. Uh, how, how, dare, how dare the congregation try to revise the prayers in a way that is uh, Christian, spiritual, or supernatural? Shocking. I, I think that if Father Roger were around today, he uh, certainly would be greatly consoled <laughs> to learn that um, uh, the qualities that he was objecting to certainly are not uh, present in the prayers of the faithful you get in the average parish. Right. <laughs> uh, these these um, prayers, by the way, this, this uh, litany of petitions. Uh, this is their their form. Their content is is left up utterly to whoever is in charge of supervising the liturgy. Uh, so it, it could be the parish priest, uh, it could be the epistle babe, it could be the liturgical commission, it um, uh, could be and is in many cases simply a um, uh, uh, some person who writes these things, who works for a liturgical publishing company. So you have uh, all of this is, is uh, um, uh, personalized and sort of put beyond the uh, authority of uh, the church to control the law of prayer, to control the contents of the liturgy. And that was the idea behind it. That was the, that this would be um, uh, sort of free-range liturgy as far as your, your content uh, would go. Well, do you, do you have any particular uh, outrageous prayers of the faithful, Father, that you remember were offered up uh, over the years while, while you were still in the Nova Sordo? Uh, not any that I, I think, Stephen. Some of these things I have like blanked out intentionally. <laughs> but Are you saying it, they happened it, a long they, time ago, Father? I remember in the seminary that that a lot of them were political and ideological. You know about Nixon and, and uh, you know the war in Vietnam and uh, for, so for recent crooks, we we pray to the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Nothing nothing particularly stands out. One one of the things that the odd things that 
does stand out was the practice where you'd have a series of people line up at the pulpit, and each one would uh, deliver a different uh, petition or prayer of the faithful. Uh, that thing, I, that I do remember, and I remember that leading to all sorts of silliness. But th- that uh, is uh, done, in fact, at uh, masses in the Vatican. Indeed, or and it's uh, as you say, also delivered in different languages because we yeah, can show how sure. how diverse we are. So it doesn't matter. We go back to I, I thought we were trying to understand what was going on uh, at mass by going to the vernacular, except when we're being multicultural and we're having uh, petitions in Swahili or Urdu, and then I don't have any idea what they're saying. Maybe maybe they're they're hoping for uh, an increase in in um, the spread of Islam in, in those countries, and I have no idea what what's going on. Now, part of that change that we have, which I think is a big part of this chapter, Father, and uh, we've we've actually addressed it in in some other episodes we've talked about uh, touching the liturgy, be it in the anti-modernist reader or in a recent Trad Controversy show where we spoke about the changes to Holy Week. People will will find these to be familiar because we're touching upon all all of these aspects. But the change in in the lectionary, as it, as, as it came to be called, is particularly important and interesting. And I would say, Father, for those who don't know, uh, and I, I would say this both ways, because I think there are traditional Catholics, people who've been blessed by having the, the, the real Mass their whole lives, who have no idea what the cycle of readings is in the Novus Ordo, and the Novus Ordos, who are used to year A, year B, year C, and then I think it's year one and year two of her weekday masses. It's been a while, so I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But can you can you orient both parties to the realities of the situation? Well, in, in the uh, traditional missal, you have um, the the, the uh, readings are divided between uh, the temporal cycle and the uh, that is to say the seasons of the year and the sanctural cycle, which is a cycle of, of, of uh, feasts uh, that occur throughout the uh, liturgical year. And the same thing in the Novus Ordo. So that's how your, your readings generally in liturgy are uh, divided up. The temporal cycle for the uh, readings in the traditional Mass developed and evolved for different reasons over uh, the years. And the Church settled on certain uh, readings for certain Sundays, and these were uh, repeated a year in and uh, uh, year out. And the whole liturgy, as it were, the divine office and everything else that went along with it, was centered on these readings. The patristic commentaries on these readings, uh, liturgical commentaries on these readings, and so on. So you had something developed, and you had something that was um, uh, that was uh, fixed. The oldest information that we have about which passages were read when uh, dates only as far back as the 16th century in the church. So uh, you have that, you have a fixed one-year cycle. In the Novus Ordo, uh, what you had uh, was the idea that, well, this is not enough, that we have to have more scripture readings. We have to open up as Vatican II said, the, the, the table of the Word of God to uh, uh, members of the laity and give them more scripture. I remember hearing that during, during that era as well, that uh, you know that, that now we have to return to this uh, scripture and we have to become scriptural people. 
So uh, the reformers threw out the uh, traditional cycle of uh, readings for the, uh, the temporal cycle of the liturgical year and for the saints, the sanctural cycle as well. And they did something completely new, so something completely different. They invented a uh, new series of arrangement of readings that for Sundays was spread over three years uh, and uh, for the weekdays was spread over two years. So for Sundays, you had year A, B, and C, and you you would get different readings from uh, year to year. And then for your weekday readings, you had uh, years one and years two. So everything that preceded it, uh, all the old traditions were simply uh, jettisoned and, and thrown out. And in the Novus Ordo, they created, therefore, this, this new lectionary that had no connection with the previous uh, lectionary. So that's uh, overall. That is uh, that's what what happened after Vatican II with the scripture readings. And it was a bit jarring as a Novus Ordo to come over, Father. And you know, at my first traditional mass, I was wondering where the second reading was. So I thought, oh, there's no there's no second reading. And I had I didn't know until I you know I, I read it a little bit more and I asked people. There's there's not a second reading. And one might argue if this was to expand the scripture knowledge, uh, we would see the effects of it, i.e. the second reading would have a strong relationship to the first reading or to the to the gospel or to the responsorial psalm, thereby making your job as uh, uh, the priest giving um, the sermon easier because the texts all tied together. But oftentimes, in my recollection, the texts weren't necessarily related. And uh, again, with the three-year cycle, that collective memory which I find, which I treasure so much attending the traditional mass, I know what sermon is coming up. I know when we get to this, this part of, uh, of the liturgical year, I'm going to hear about the Samaritan woman, which mm-hmm. for all sorts of reasons, I really, really enjoy that whole sequence uh, because I, I find it to be one of the, the more comedic parts of, of scripture in which our Lord is, is just sort of confronting this woman head on. And I, I just find it to be a very interesting, but I know when that's going to happen in the liturgical year. Whereas with the three-year cycle, you're, you're wondering, okay, well, what's going to happen this time? Furthermore, and I think more to the point that you make in this chapter, that's all well and good unless you start cutting things out. So if you're trying to expand the scriptural studies, but then you cut out things that are not convenient, that doesn't exactly pay homage to intellectual honesty. No, no, it doesn't. And what they ended up with in in the new scripture readings is a, a the grand contradiction of their professed principles. So the, the first point that you make about uh, the uh, repetition, uh, allowing one to uh, internalize the scripture reading that you hear every year, that of course is gone because they've decided that they're going to have different readings from uh, year to year. Uh, so you get the uh, contradiction uh, right there of the first principle. Uh, the second thing that they talk about is, well, that historically in the church, what you had was a continuous reading of um, uh, the scripture from uh, one book, and then you went on to the next book. Okay, and there, there's documentation for that, but they did not do that in the Novus Ordo because uh, they ended up uh, uh, picking and choosing the passages that they want wanted, 
and, and uh, omitting omitting the passages that um, uh, they didn't want according to uh, certain norms. So you end up with a contradiction there, uh, a contradiction there as well that uh, the uh, they're not really restoring something. Uh, ancient. They're telling you they're restoring something ancient, this continuous reading, but actually they're not doing that. So you, you, uh, there are all these contradictions, and again, Garanger pointed the, uh, this out in general as regards uh, those who adhere to the liturgical heresy, that they constantly contradict their own principles and practice. We want to remind our listeners that that you're, you're listening to Work of Human Hands and that it is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. You can obtain permission by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. The Father mentioned Dom Granger, who provided the adroit choices phrase for, for the, uh, the chapter. So I, we're moving away from the gigantic voices, Father, and we're moving towards these adroit choices. Now, uh, in this chapter, Father talks about different concepts, be it divine wrath, uh, condemnations of impurity. And he, he lists things that were permitted as substitutes, things that were optional, and things that were missing. And we don't have time to go into all of them, but I, I thought I would pick a few so that Father can, can talk, tell us about uh, why, why these might be uh, not approved in the Novus Ordo. And the first is divine wrath the concept of God's anger over transgressions of his law, and missing from the lectionary, which is supposed to be more scriptural and exposing people to more of the table of the word. Vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is both lawgiver and judge who can both destroy and deliver. If at God's judgment the just man shall scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And whosoever shall keep the whole law but offend on one point becomes guilty of all. Not really going to cut it in the Novus Ordo, is it, Father? Uh, no, it's not. And uh, the uh, reason I was able to bring out these particular passages um, on, say, divine wrath and punishment for uh, punishment in this life for sin, etc., is that um, I took the New Testament and I compared the text of the New Testament uh, to uh, the list of pericopes, that is to say, of, of texts used in the Novus Ordo. And that's how you can see exactly what they leave out. And they were going to give us the whole message, but here they left something out. So the idea of, of vengeance and uh, the, uh, the God is a destroyer, who shall keep the whole law, but if at one point be uh, guilty of all, that these are uh, ideas that cut too close to the quick in terms of uh, traditional theology and that modern man finds offensive. So we're going to... Uh, uh, omit these things from the lectionary, and the epistle babe is not going to be required to read them, and where she's going to skip on to something else more positive. Well, yeah, she may just she may just choose to skip them herself. Uh, Father Father Oswald shared in in one of his recent uh, episodes, Escape from the Novus Ordo, that a nun just uh, skipped uh, a part about hell, and he had based his sermon around this verse, <laughs> but she had chosen to just get past it and uh, he talked he, he asked her about it later and, and she said well you know I didn't think they needed to hear that and it was just sort of like well thanks sister for making that call for me I, 
I appreciate that. But this is this is where we get to uh, another uh, another set, set of verses that removed uh, are from the concept of narrow is the gate. Verses removed include many are called, few are chosen, or that at the end of the world, dogs and sorcerers and unchaste and murderers and servers of idols and everyone that loveth and maketh a lie shall be excluded from heaven. Those also are not very convenient if you're trying for uh, ecumenical outreach. Certainly not. I remember the theology of the era and indeed of, of the modern modernist theology of the era is that um, there is no hell, there is no punishment for uh, serious sins in this life. So narrow the gate, well, you know, broad the gate. Welcome in everyone. And we're, we're sort of past that anyway now, Father, you know, we're in the uh, annihilation stage as regards hell. And, and I might ask, in, in the spirit of Francis, where is the joy? Where is the mercy in these in these quotes? And I would say we don't really need them. Um, speaking of ecumenism, that, that always... Uh, special subject of our our elder brothers in the faith some might refer to them as here are some things that are yes yes so some might call them that father uh these are passages that that go missing in the novus ordo lectionary uh jews seizing saint paul in the temple to to seek to kill him uh the church of ephesus is blasphemed by them who say they are jews and are not but of our are the synagogue of satan quote unquote uh, stirring up the minds of Gentiles against the faith, inciting the people and rulers of Thessalonica against St. Paul, and a, a few more. Uh, I, I don't need to read them all, but I, I have to imagine that we certainly cannot have any sort of phrases that go back to that medieval idea of deicide. That's really a bit outdated. Certainly not. Those those actually have to go, even if it's in Scripture. <laughs> we have on women. Missing from the lectionary, unsurprised before God, the woman was created for the man and is subject to him. Let women keep silence in the church. We certainly wouldn't have an epistle babe be able to read anything like that. Certainly not. Women should adorn themselves with modesty, learn in silence, and not have authority over a man. A woman shall be saved through childbearing. I suppose you have authority, not have authority over a man unless you're the sister who is running the liturgical show at most of these parishes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I think Father Father Talk has about a blind obedience. <laughs> right, Father has a character name for this. It's like Sister Sister Gowlighter, I think. Where it is? Oh, yes. Miss Gowlighter. She's not even Sister. Uh, the the fearsome Miss Gowlighter, Director of Worship at Father Chuck's Parish. So, <laughs> Father Father is drawing from experience, and I would argue reality as someone who more recently experienced the Novus Ordo than than Father. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the, the uh, these uh, you know the, the fearsome women in ministry uh, who, who run so many of these these uh, programs, and and the Miss Gowlighter type is uh, it's it, it's a type, but it's 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 really true to uh, what you get in the Novus Ordo. Well, and I think this one's a particularly scary uh, omission, Father. It's it's listed as your tenth point. Uh, the quote is, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. Clearly an unambiguous text, but uh, in an age of ambiguity, we probably need to get rid of this. But uh, you'd have to be pretty fearsome about uh, 
about omitting this, but uh, these people are fearless. Well, they, they omitted it from the middle of a reading, uh, the condemnation of people who omit uh, teachings from readings. <laughs> so uh, it was a, a self-condemnation there. <laughs> well, and I, I suppose this, this takes us to the, the end of the chapter. And as I, I point out to those of you who are worried and intimidated about the size of, of Father's book, this is where we get to the, the summary page where, where Father Father takes care of it for you if you're if you're worried you're not going to make it. But where where does this take us, Father? I mean, obviously, you know, Justin's Justin's taken us through a good good part of the first half of this book, and and I'm and I'm finishing up the, the second half. Where where are we building towards with with this, and and where where does today's chapter fit in with with the overall thesis of your book? Well, it uh, it uh, demonstrates uh, once again the principles on which the new mass is based, that the new mass is based on uh, the idea of ecumenism. You see the different ecumenical, anti-ecumenical scriptural passages disappear. And you see as well the uh, problem of of, uh, theological modernism that's part and parcel of the uh, new mass as well, the, in that you have a completely different understanding of the purpose of, of this part of the mass. You have a devaluation of the role of the priest. Uh, you have a uh, a lay-centered uh, rite that has, instead of a supernatural uh, purpose, that has a, a natural purpose, as it were, of uh, uh, simply instructing people. So uh, this section on uh, all fours represents uh, very much the false uh, ecumenical and modernist theology behind the Novus Ordo. And uh, also, it manifests the very clearly the deception that uh, the Reformers uh, uh, pulled off on, on, on uh, Catholics by uh, claiming that they were really restoring the ancient practices of the Church and the liturgical reform. They were doing no such thing. They did not use the Lexio Continua, the continuous reading of, of uh, uh, Scripture. The idea of a woman uh, proclaiming a uh, reading uh, would have been absolutely horrifying to the um, uh, to the members of uh, the early church, uh, and so on, all the way down the line. That uh, so it's it's a fraud from a historical point of view as well. Well, uh, again, if you want to get a copy of the book, follow along. It's not too late. Remember, the episodes are only monthly, so you can get a copy of the book and either start in Medias Res with us or go back to the beginning and and speed read and get caught up with, with Father and us uh, before the, the, the next episode. Father, what's the, the latest at St. Gertrude's and at SGG Resources? Well, the latest at SGG uh, Resources is uh, this, that we are, of course, offering the book on the um, on our resources page. Uh, on uh, our SGG YouTube uh, page, uh, SGG Resources YouTube page, we have um, uh, just posted a, a video of our young organist on the new instrument that we have here, St. Gertrude uh, the Great, playing the famous Bach uh, Toccata and Fugue in D minor. 
a very popular piece, uh, uh, actually a very long piece. Uh, it's uh, about uh, ten and a half minutes when you do the fugue along with it, but the young man does a, a really excellent job of that. So I invite you to view that on the Saint, uh, the SGG Resources YouTube page. And that's probably just youtube.com forward slash SGG Resources. I believe so, yes. Or if not, just if, if it's not there, search for SGG resources within YouTube, and you should you should find it. Maybe, Father, we could clip out some of his playing there and uh, and put it into either an intro or an outro for the rest of our season. Yeah, that, that sounds like an excellent idea. <laughs> the faithful note to the beginning of the Bach Toccata in D minor for a discussion of the new mass. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I was going to say, unfortunately, I've just realized as the person. Uh, who volunteered the idea and now become the head of the committee. So I'll, I'll need to uh, take care of the work to do that. Um, That's how it works here, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware, Father. I know how that works. Uh, as always, thanks so much for your time. We we always enjoy talking about uh, about your book with you, and we look forward to having you on next month to to keep moving forward with this series and, and getting towards the end of Work of Human Hands. Great. God bless you all. Thanks so much, Father. If you have any questions for Father or feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at humanhands at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions and comments to Father Chikata. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.